Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love and may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Perhaps you remember Marie Kondo. She was made famous a few years back becoming a organization consultant. She also became an author and a television presenter. Marie Kondo uh, took her understanding from uh, the Japanese understanding of simplicity. Well, she's written four books on organizing, which have collectively sold millions of copies around the world. Her wisdom about decluttering has made her famous and likely quite wealthy. And why not? You and I both know, you know what it feels like to declutter, don't you? I know you're thinking, oh, that closet I have that I haven't quite gotten to. Well, I know everybody thinks about decluttering all the time because when we moved our storage unit, we all talked about it, how we needed to declutter our garages, we needed to declutter our closets, we needed to declutter our office spaces, and on and on. And you know the thrill of victory, don't you? That when you are able to declutter, you feel like a whole weight has been lifted off of you. You have this new life ahead of you, a new lease on life. A recent article by Reverend Bruce Epperly, a retired UCC pastor, a writer, and seminary professor, was entitled Spiritual Decluttering as a Lenten Discipline. In short, he invites us to consider spiritual decluttering as important as physical decluttering. And I suggest to you that the spiritual decluttering is what is intended for us in this season of Lent. In today's Gospel reading, we are still still, as we have been over the last four or five Sundays in the first chapter of Mark. We're still there. And um, it is here that we hear a, a reading that actually has three parts, three acts, if you will. Here we meet Jesus as he makes his very first appearance in the Gospel of Mark, as he comes to be baptized by the baptizer John in the Jordan River. And notice the active language of this reading. The heavens are not just spread apart. The heavens are torn apart. The dove descends. The voice speaks, beloved. And immediately, it says, immediately, the Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness. Forty days there, Satan tested him. Wild beasts and angels waited on him. John was arrested. Jesus proclaimed the good news. The realm of heaven has drawn near. And Jesus preached. He says, the time is fulfilled when the realm of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, I know we all get hung up on that word repent. Don't we? Because you and I both know that it's been used in an abusive manner toward a lot of people. You know, that we're supposed to straighten our act up and act right and behave ourselves and you need to repent of all your sin. And that's actually 
what John preached. Come and be baptized and repent of your sin. Baptism is for the forgiveness of sin. But that's not Jesus' sermon. Jesus' sermon is the realm of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news of God. So, you know, what we need to understand is the word Mark uses is not epistrophane, which is a German word that, I mean, a Latin word that means, a Greek word that means to turn around. We often think of repenting as turn around and going the other way. And that's, that's what the epistrophine means. But here the word is metanoia, a Greek word meaning change your mind. Change your mind. Declutter your mind about what you think the good news is. Because the good news for those people in Israel was that they were praying for a rout of the Roman Empire. They wanted a reestablishment of the nation of Israel and a return to the day when David was king. They were, they were waiting for a Messiah who could muster an army and lead them into a future like that. So when Jesus comes telling them that the time was fulfilled and the realm of God was near, they thought, ooh, maybe he's the one. Sounds pretty good to me. But Jesus wasn't proclaiming a restored nation of Israel. He was proclaiming a new realm of God on earth as it is in heaven. Note here in this first act of our reading that Mark explicitly frames baptisms in the words of John as a baptism of the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And yet Jesus is the one with whom God is well pleased. And Jesus is the one who is called beloved. And Jesus gets in line with all the rest of us to be baptized. We have a God who is in solidarity with us in our humanity, right? In the second act, the Spirit seems to appear on the baptismal scene as gentle and loving and beautiful as a dove descending, but quickly becomes what the ancient Celtic Christians dubbed as a wild goose, driving Jesus out into the wilderness, hissing and nipping at his heels. Why? Being tested in the wilderness is a common motif of Hebrew scripture. Take the Israelites, 40 years of wilderness wandering after the Exodus, a period the author of Deuteronomy frames as a time of testing, humility, and strengthening. And in the third act, we hear Jesus' first sermon, the time is fulfilled, a reference to the dawn of a new era, evoking God's jubilee, the promised new day that the prophets have proclaimed for centuries. The realm of God has come near. Despite how things might seem, God is active and reigning in the world. A good word for us today that as bad as things are, we are invited to awaken, to understand that God's justice and love and peace 
the reign of God is breaking into the world here and now. And repent, because of this nearness, we're called to repentance, to change our minds, which will change our hearts, which will change our lives. Change our minds, which will change our hearts, which will change our lives. Can you imagine? And finally, Jesus says we are to believe in the good news. We are to trust that all of this is true and rejoice because God keeps God's promises to see all of us as beloved. Now, you may be wondering about those wild beasts. The Hebrew lesson for today is the passage from Genesis where God makes covenant with Noah and all humanity and promises never again to destroy the earth. But in making that promise, it is also to all living creatures, to the whole of creation, even to the earth itself. And God places the rainbow in the clouds, an amazing technicolor icon, you know, when you see them. Look, a rainbow, oh my gosh, a rainbow. In this way, the writer of the Gospel of Mark places Jesus as Noah and his family were placed with the wild beasts. Not as foes, but as friends. You know, every Ash Wednesday, we talk about Lent as a journey that we take with God for 40 days before Easter. And of course, on this first day of Lent, we discover that the number 40 isn't arbitrary. 40 days of being tested and tempted in the wilderness. You and I know that how the story goes from there, don't you? We are journeying toward Easter. But to get to Easter, you have to go with Jesus into the wilderness and come back and get to the cross of Good Friday and the tomb of Holy Saturday before you get to Easter. Um, you know it's important to realize that the wilderness Jesus is driven into by the spirit is a literal wilderness he actually goes out to a physical place where few people go but he is out there spiritually too and this is perhaps even scarier right spiritual wilderness is a place where few of us want to go Spiritual decluttering is something most of us shy away from. I mean, who among us wants to go to a place where we wrestle with ourselves and our spirit and our relationship with God? What good is it anyhow? Doesn't make your life easier. I mean, it's not like a, a point on your resume or that you can make good money from it. I mean, in fact, to do this spiritual wandering and to do this spiritual decluttering and to do this spiritual wilderness journey, I mean, sometimes it makes things harder. So why would we do it? And a lot of people don't. But that's exactly what Lent asks of us, isn't it? Lent asks us to wrestle with the hard stuff, 
to pray, to fast, to do something new, to face temptation, and to choose to follow Jesus anyway. Crowds will show up on Easter morning, but few will have spent the last 40 days getting ready. But those of us who choose to make this 40-day wilderness journey may discover something meaningful along the way. Not just about ourselves, but about who God is. You see, when we go into that wilderness, what we discover is that Jesus Christ is there already. And now we've found that we're not alone. If you've ever had a hard time with faith, if you've struggled to make hard choices, if you've grieved and who hasn't, if you've ever been on a threshold of something new, something you don't know how you are going to survive, the good news is, is that Jesus has gone there before us. And Jesus knows and knew what all that was like. And there's more good news besides, because sometimes our wilderness places can do more than challenge us our wilderness places can change us, transform us. Often in the wilderness, we awaken to a new way of being. We see things differently, and we have the opportunity to change our minds. And sometimes, sometimes, we have to get lost before we awaken to new ways of being in the world, a way of compassion for others and for the whole of creation, which is the ultimate joy of God, is for us to discover compassion. The word means with passion. To be with passion for others, to be with passion for yourself, to be with passion for God. Richard Rohr, Father Richard Rohr, gives us a practical, practical understanding, understanding of awakening compassion for today. This is what he writes. Mystics have plumbed the depth of both suffering and love and emerged with depths of compassion for the world and a learned capacity to recognize God within themselves, in others, and in all things. So this wilderness journey is filled with wisdom for us. If we will but go, if we will but try. Roar helps us understand that by applying the wisdom of the mystics, the wisdom of the wilderness, to our daily and even momentary outlooks, we will be able to bring open-heartedness and compassion into the lives we lead and the work we do. And that, my friends, changes the world. Compassion changes the world. This is the wilderness wisdom that we have a chance to discover in this season of Lent. And what we also discover, as with Noah, is that God keeps God's promises. God has placed a rainbow in the sky so God will not forget the promises made thousands of years ago. Awakened compassion means that as we journey, we are awakened to the whisper of God's voice saying, you, you, you are my beloved. 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 Thanks be to God. Amen.